Well, I told you day one, sitting right, probably right here, wherever the heck we were, um, that uh, I was going to battle, you know, the best in the country, and we may not always win. We're going to win some, we're going to lose some, but we're going to fight and we're going to recruit at a high level, and we're continuing to do that. I told you, and I joke about this. NIL's been going on for a long time. They say it ain't been above board, so now it is. It does. I mean, I think it does affect things because the, the guys, the other people, they don't have the advantages they used to have. Now you say you still have some work to do, but what does this class say about the c continuous growth of this program and the direction you're going? And I think the people see it. They see where we're going, what we're doing, how we're doing it, and we got to finish up and be able to finish some games and win on the road when we need to and do those kind of things. But I think you get guys that can make a difference and you know hopefully make those other plays which you need. But I think they see the vision which we have. They think they see the commitment which we have, and I think they see the staff that can get them there and the things that go on in, in the past recruiting classes. I think, you know, they're like I say, you live in vision, you live, you live in vision, you live in circumstance. And... Uh, I think we're living in vision, we see it, and uh, I think it's right there. We know we just got to finish it. Oh, welcome in to the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Mike Brent. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And Cousin Shane still working. Hey, let's give this man a break. He's getting some quality family time. He's working overtime there with the holidays right around the corner. But, again, I've got some terrific guests lined up. On the show, we got Nick Roush from Kentucky Sports Radio. Going to talk the Kentucky signing class and what's been going on there in Lexington with Mark Stoops and Brad White getting overtures to leave the Kentucky program. Of course, both have committed to staying for the long haul there in Lexington. So we'll, we'll cut it up with uh, Nick here in a minute. And we also got Jason Howell. He's a senior recruiting analyst over there at TexAgs, the go-to site for Texas A&M content. Going to be breaking down the number one recruiting class in the country. So Kentucky and Texas A&M fans, you're really going to love these interviews. Went in depth on uh, those signing classes. But, hey, before we get into all that, we got some news and notes around the SEC. And like we mentioned on the last episode, don't forget, you know, we do appreciate each and every one of those five-star written reviews that come in. Those have really seen an uptick. The more we mention them, the more you guys uh, follow through and, and give us a five-star written review. And now, for those that don't have an Apple product that have been wanting to give us a review for years, you can head on over to Spotify. That's a new feature. Go on over to the Spotify, click on that SEC football podcast, and give us a little rating there. Throw it up on the YouTube. Hey, don't forget to follow us on YouTube, too, so that's blowing up. But uh, we appreciate each and every one of those. And for the ratings and reviews will send you a beer koozie free of charge just for doing that. So that's just our little way of saying thanks for helping the show grow. We don't ask for much, but that's that's pretty much all we ask for is a five-star review. So really, really appreciate each and every one of those. But enough of that. All with this show. And I wanted to start here with uh, the Georgia Bulldogs, of course, and Alabama, both in the college football playoff. Kirby Smart, Nick Saban. Both of them met with the media, and the vast majority of the questions they faced, Alabama in particular, was about their team. And I don't want to say these two are looking past their college football playoff opponents, but you know I think most people, even uh, you know the the biggest Michigan diehards, know it's an uphill climb for the Wolverines to beat the Georgia Bulldogs in the college football playoffs. So we could be on for another collision course of SEC teams meeting in the national championship. I'd love it. But uh, before we get to Nick Saban, let's 
Start with Kirby Smart, who the million-dollar question down there in Athens, who's going to play quarterback for the Bulldogs in the college football playoff? Will it be Stetson Bennett? Will it be JT Dales? That was the first question Kirby got. How's the reps going in bowl practice? He, he wouldn't give up much. And uh, I'm going to rope in a uh, question here about JT Daniels as well. Uh, as far as JT and, and Stetson goes, I mean, is JT getting any reps at all of the ones? And kind of how is that working out during warm-ups for, for this game? Yeah, I, we don't disclose that information. We just talk about the guys that are doing their job. And th- all four of those guys have done a tremendous job uh, working with us. Brock's been giving us a great picture uh, down on the scout team in, and uh, JT and Stetson are both really doing a good job of uh, simulating the offense that Monken wants to do. And um, like I talk about all the time, we're, we're going to play the guy that gives us the best chance to win. And I'm really proud of the way both those guys um, have practiced. We've done, uh, I guess, four or five camp-type practices and two uh, uh, really focused on uh, Michigan-type uh, practices. And and both guys, uh, Stetson and JT, have been have been really good in terms of locked in and focused on what we need to focus on. Hey, next two questions to Mark Weiser and then uh, Charles Odom. Hey, Kirby, um, after the injuries that JT dealt with earlier in the season, are you confident that he can play at the level he did in the last four games of last season if called upon? JT's done a tremendous job in all our practices and all our work of uh, being able to be effective and, and understand what we have to do uh, offensively and uh, making decisions, we get to see him um, go sometimes against two defense. Sometimes he gets to go against the one defense, depending on what we're working on. And um, he's done a good job of doing that. Well, no, no surprise, really. Kirby keeping things close to the vest, as he always does. Not really getting much indication from uh, anything he said here. And, you know, I really anticipate that's really going to be the case. We won't know who Georgia's starting probably till a day or two before the Michigan game. I, I really think it will come down to that. There's no advantage to letting Michigan know who you're going to play. But, uh, you know, if they make that decision the week of the game, which y- you got to assume they're going to do, that is going to get leaked out at some point. So here in the next couple of days, JT Dales, Stenson Bennett, got to f- battle this thing out and see who the coaching staff feels more comfortable with. And really, that could be the, the decision that defines the season and maybe even, you know, I don't want to go crazy here, but maybe defines the success or ultimate failure of Kirby Smart in Athens because they got, this is a championship roster. Make no mistake about it. This is a team that, hell, we've hit on it. I mean, if they do rematch Alabama, the Vegas odds say Georgia is the favorite to win that football game, but it's going to come down to quarterback play and for Kirby's sake, I hope he gets it right. But, uh, of course, hey, that ain't the only topic here with the Bulldogs. Coming off a uh, very disappointing defeat in the SEC championship game to Alabama. Were the Bulldogs exposed? Again, I, th- I think those kind of questions are a little uh, ridiculous. And we're just reacting to one game where they didn't have their best performance and they got beat by the better team that day. Does that wipe out the previous 11 games? No, it does not. I'm not throwing Clemson in there because Georgia, that's the only other game they didn't look dominant this season. So uh, Kirby was asked about his team's response to losing after bowl practice has already begun down there in Athens. So 
Let's kick it over to Kirby on uh, what he's seeing from his team and how they're reacting following the tough loss. Kirby, when you have a game like the the defense had in its last game, game where I guess exposed is a word people are throwing out, is there a balance between reacting to what you saw in that game versus you're about to play an opponent that is probably a different kind of offense that you faced in the last game? Um, I, the biggest thing is we're always technical with our players and we're very truthful and honest. And um, if you sat in our meetings, you would know that a lot of the games that people might say that we dominated or held guys to lower points, we didn't play real well. So we don't do it any different um, based on the outcome. We do it based on how we execute, how we perform, not just on statistics. And, and we've, we've kind of talked to our defense about that. We're very technical and honest. What can we do better? How can we improve? Um, and then how do we take away what the opponent does? And Michigan does a tremendous job. They're very – uh, multiple. They have a lot of personnel groupings. They're extremely physical and they're committed to being physical um, and they, they can play in space. They've got really good athletes. Um, and, you know, we, we know that they've got a tremendous team. You know, their offense coordinator was at Alabama. He's done a great job. So the challenge is there and, and we work hard to really work on us <laughs> fundamentally, you know, self-scout. What, what have we given up? What have, we, what, have, what have people seen on us? What changes can we make that would be beneficial for us? And that's really been our focus is how do we get better fundamentally, not about the last game. Well, if Georgia is going to bounce back against Michigan, one guy you got to assume has got to play a huge role in doing so, George Pickens. We saw him against Alabama making some plays, and for whatever reason, Georgia kind of went away from that. Maybe they only had a couple plays dialed up for George Pickens. I don't know, but with the added time to keep improving his health after the offseason surgery. You got to assume George Pickens, I mean, he came back for a reason. This is the reason here, to play in these big games like the SEC Championship, like the college football playoff, because all indication, he's probably headed to the NFL, and here's his opportunity to improve his stock, win a national championship before his college career comes to an end. And you got to know if he's good to go, he's going to be demanding the ball as he should. He's Georgia's most dominant receiver. At least he has been when he's healthy. And if he can regain that form, all of a sudden, Georgia, already a dominant team, is going to be that much better. And that may be the deciding factor in a matchup against Alabama. Getting a, but George Pickens weeks later, maybe he's that much better in a matchup. They're going to need him. Uh, I don't think Georgia can beat Hell, they may not even beat Michigan without a healthy George Pickens, but certainly I don't think they can do it. They can beat Alabama without George Pickens returning to form. And thankfully for uh, the Bulldogs, they got a couple weeks here to go. They've had several weeks to work with him to get him in shape and ready to play in the college football playoff. And, I mean, hell, even Kirby admits he's not 100%, but he's getting closer and closer as uh, time goes on. So, so I just thought Georgia fans would – like to know where's the latest with George Pickens. Hey, Kirby, I want to ask you one. How is George Pickens sort of progressing as he continues to get healthier from that ACL injury? And it always seems like he plays really well in bowl games. Is there a specific reason for that? Is the extra time off in between the games? What's the reason for George always seeming to play at his best in these sort of bowl game situations? Well, I think the opportunity to throw in uh, the two games you're mentioning, uh, you know, people try to, 
take the run away. And, and, and when you, you know, you do that, you sometimes leave yourself one-on-one and we've had an opportunity for him to make some plays uh, going back, I guess you're referencing uh, Baylor and uh, Cincinnati. He had opportunities to make those plays because he was one-on-one in a lot of situations. You know, he's still not a hundred percent. George is working really hard, but he, I mean, we see him every day and, and getting to see him every day is, He's working back to get that way, but he is not there. Nobody is. I mean, there's no person on earth that comes back from an ACL and is back out there running the same speeds and confidence and breaks that you would usually have. And uh, he's, he, he continues to get better. Um, the biggest part is understanding, you know, all the details and intricacies of the offense of making sure he knows splits, um, shifts, motions, um, IDs, and when you don't do that for that long, I think everybody just assumes it just comes back natural. Um, that's not something that's just – you just wake up and do. You take, it takes reps to do that. And he's only been able to start getting these reps in the last really two to three weeks. But he is getting better, and uh, he is working hard um, at his craft, and uh, he's gotten a lot of reps the last four or five practices. But all right, flip it over to the other side of that. You know, this time around, there won't be John Menchie. I know he missed the second half of the SEC championship game, unfortunately done for the season. Where does Alabama go? Now, hey, let's not cry for Alabama. It's not, uh, the, the backups that are going to be stepping up and asked to replace John Menchie in the lineup, we're talking several five stars and four stars. I mean, these are some of the best players in the country that signed on to play for Alabama. Now's their time to step up. Who will that be? A Jai Hall. That's someone that uh, Nick Saban pointed out as uh, someone that is stepping up into that role. We saw him, of course, in the Alabama spring game, just look dominant. Can we get that? Ajay Hall. It's always interesting to see what players step up when the regular season comes to an end. Things slow down. You get into this the bowl practices, which are really like a new camp mode. These young players have a real, real opportunity to get back to the fundamentals get adjusted to a couple of different assignments that the coaching staff will ask them to get to. And we'll find out which maybe it's uh, Brooks who caught the, uh, the big touchdown there in the iron bowl. I mean, there's many, many options here for Alabama. They need someone to step up Jamison Williams opposite Jamison Williams. And that is something that uh, Nick Saban hit on here on Monday. Yeah. What have you seen from the receivers so far in practice and who's stepping into that void left by John Mechie? Yeah, well, you know, I think the guys are stepping up and doing a good job. You know, Javon Baker's done a good job. Trayshawn Holden has done a good job. Ajay Hall is, you know, making some good plays. Um, you know, I think those guys, you know, look forward to the opportunity that they have, and they're doing the best they can to get prepared to try to be able to, you know, help the team every way that they can. Uh, you know, Shakori uh, has, you know, been playing well for us, so, you know, he's he's also – you know, a guy that's um, continues to improve. Now, what position uh, the Crimson Tide don't have to worry about whatsoever is Will Anderson there, an outside linebacker, one of the most outstanding players in the country. Should have been a Heisman finalist for what he did for the Crimson Tide, helping them this season win the SEC title, win the SEC West once again. But uh, Nick Saban was asked about Will Anderson, who he thankfully has got him for one more year after this one. And just uh, what makes him so unique? I thought uh, Alabama fans would really appreciate these comments. Evening, Coach. We can all kind of see the physical attributes that Will Anderson has to make him a good player. But what sets them apart, whether it's intensity, off the field, relentlessness on it, 
What kind of sets him apart to help him fulfill that potential? Well, you know, I think what sets anybody apart is, you know, what's your mindset? You know, how important it is to you? Uh, how are you willing to edit your behavior to accomplish the goals that you have? You're going to get out of it what you put into it. And, you know, Will's A-plus in, you know, all those intangible areas. Plus, he's got, um, you know, really good physical ability. And um, the guy is an overachiever even at that with all the physical ability that he has because of the mindset that he has. You know, he's a great effort player. Um, he's very conscientious. He does his job well in the game. He doesn't make a lot of mistakes. Uh, he kind of prepares well for every game. And um, so, you know, I think it's always the intangible things uh, that help you get to your full potential. And, you know, Will's certainly got great intangibles with great ability, and that usually makes for great players. And then last but not least here, you know, the deciding factor in the SEC championship game, we can give Jamison Williams a ton of credit. He deserves anything, any and all praise he receives. But at the end of the day, I mean, it was just a major, major advantage for Alabama when you're talking about the quarterback battle, Stetson Bennett and Bryce Young. Bryce Young played the best football we've seen from him, and that's saying something. The Heisman Trophy winner just took his game to another level. And if you don't know, his father is a uh, psychologist. And Bryce is the only child, and you know, you, I'm sure can only imagine the lessons that his father has taught him over time about uh, psychology and just the mental aspects of playing college football and high school football. And uh, Nick Saban, he was asked about Bryce Young and his mental makeup here, and uh, some, you know, maybe this kind of explains why such an inexperienced player was able to, from the get-go, just be a dominant player for Alabama this season. You are really into the psychology more so than maybe any other coach in college football history. In that regard, how rare is like Bryce's ability to you know, having his background he had with his father <clears throat> in terms of making the main thing the main thing? Yeah, well, I think he does a really good job of that. Um, he's, you know, very focused on what he needs to do. Um, he doesn't let external factors distract him uh, very often. Um, he's got, you know, good ability to focus on the next play and not get too bothered about what happened on the last play. Uh, I think he has a high standard for himself in terms of what he wants to do, what he wants to achieve, uh, but he also is very focused on the process of what he has to do to do that, how he needs to prepare, how he needs to understand, how he needs to practice. And uh, he sets a really good example for uh, all of the players on the team uh, by the way he does that. And I think it sort of shows in his consistency and performance, um, you know, all year long. All right, Coach, thanks for your time. All right, thank you. Uh, one other thing is I don't think I'm going to get the opportunity to Wish everybody a happy holiday. Um, this is a great time of the year to enjoy family and um, you know have gratitude for all the blessings that we have. Uh, even though when you're a coach, you don't get to enjoy it a whole lot until you get right to it. And we have a couple days off, but um, I just want everybody that supports the program, uh, all the people out there, uh, friends and family, to know that uh, we're thinking about you over the holidays and. I uh, wish you uh, a very blessed holiday season. Thank you. 
All right, so next let's kick it all down to Lexington. We teased our interview, which will be coming up in just a moment here with Nick Roush, Kentucky Sports Radio. Always love having Nick on the show. Very entertaining guy who doesn't hold anything back here. But before we get to his interview, do want to make this announcement. So I had him on Monday early afternoon. Since that time, Will Levis has announced he is coming back for next season. That's a huge boost to Kentucky in their offense in year two under Liam Cohen, year two, Will Levis. Uh, you know He's going to have to take his game to another level. If Kentucky is going to potentially win another 10 games next season, it's got to cut back on the turnovers. But, you know, that's typically what happens in year two. You get better in the system. You get better with the players around you. Now, well, Wondell Robinson, we don't probably he's not going to be around. Josh Ali's off to the NFL. Chris Rodriguez, undecided at this point. But that's why it's going to be on Will Levis's shoulder to improve his stock and step up and be, you know, the driving force of that offense. And at the end of the day, you look at what Kentucky had before Will Levis, it was a borderline travesty at the quarterback position. So he's added some stability. Now it's time for him to take his game up to the next level. And maybe we'll start to see that a little bit here in the bowl game against Iowa. And, and speaking of that game real quick, Josh Ali, Isaiah Ips, not be playing in the Citrus Bowl against Iowa. They were in a car accident. It's not uh, life-threatening or anything, but just not going to be able to play Liam Liam Cohen announced that here on Monday, so that's a bummer for Kentucky fans. But the good news is Mark Stoops and company just signed the number four recruiting class in the SEC, and Nick Roush of Kentucky Sports Radio joined the show to break that all down. Hey, well, we're pleased to once again be joined by Nick Roush. does an outstanding job for Kentucky Sports Radio, and he's a host of my favorite Kentucky sports podcast, the 11 Personnel Podcast. Give him a follow at Roush KSR. Nick, thanks so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Well, happy to be here. Happy to have a fan of 11 personnel on the show. Even if you're lying, you're a very good liar. Um, <laughs> no, but, I listen uh, to you and Luckett all the time, man. I swear. Well, I, I appreciate it. It's a little hectic this time of the year, but it's fun to get on here and, and talk a little ball with you. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the reason I wanted to have you on, Kentucky just had a historic signing class, probably the best class ever in program history, top four in the SEC. Did you ever think you'd uh, live to see Kentucky finish top four in the, in the recruiting rankings? Uh, no. And, and that was also <laughs> – before really getting to know how the rankings work and you know especially when you're used to basketball it only takes like a player or two to really kick things up a notch mm -hmm. but in football you really do have to have a 20 person signing class with more than half of your guys four star or better and kentucky mm -hmm. did that i mean we were we were recording a signing day special kind of podcast. It took to like 45 minutes in before we got to Barry and Brown, a five-star guy on, on three. Like that, that's kind of where we are. I, I never anticipated this day would happen, but the landscape has changed a lot. Uh, Kentucky success plus uh, the way that nil works now, like just recruiting is completely different. And Mark Stoops, he is taking advantage of, of kind of every change along the way. And he's benefited from kind of the talent pool in Kentucky improving. So to, to the, the cats are in elite company now and that's that's how you you don't win games on signing day but you do two three years down the road and kentucky's really starting to stack some solid classes together to to raise the floor of the football program 
Now, how much stress did uh, five-star Kenyatta Goodwin put on Kentucky's coaching staff and, more importantly, on the, the crew over there at Kentucky Sports Radio? Well, so Keontae, his gym, Aspirations Gym, is a stone's throw from my house. It's only about a mile and a half away in Louisville. And so I, I, I spend a good amount of time there. I've known Keontae for a long time because he's been a recruit for seemingly forever. And part of me never really worried too much in that I thought that Vince Merrow had established a long enough relationship to, to kind of weather whatever storm. But mm -hmm. this was our introduction to big boy recruiting where <laughs> on signing day, you know, you might have two announcements. You might have a uh, flip it and flop it. And just, it's, it's a wild, wild ride and you just got to hold on for dear life and, and that's what kentucky did um you rarely have guys like goodwin that are six foot eight 325 pounds that grow up right down the road and that was the case i mean he's a top 20 guy by all standards now he needs to have a lot of uh he he lacks some football experience uh but man he is he's an uber talent at a position that you know kentucky's got a good reputation on the offensive line and they they're losing some of those guys. Darian Kennard, consensus All-American. He's going out the door. You had to get Goodwin to maintain that identity, that culture of the Big Blue Wall inside the Kentucky football program. Now, this may be a tough question to answer, but if you could pinpoint maybe one or two, maybe even three things that uh, really needed to take place for Kentucky to have such a historic uh, signing class, what, what were the, the keys, you think? Is, is it the, just the stability of Mark Stoops and his program? You know, they had a, uh, they were top 10 at one point this season. Was How did this all come about in your mind? Well, some of it is kind of what I alluded to earlier, where you're stacking classes up on top of one another, and you, you, you've established yourself to a certain degree. So in Kentucky's case, they, they've established themselves as a premier place to develop trench football players. Dion Walker from Detroit, a lot of people thought when Steve Klingscale, Kentucky's primary recruiter in the area, a lot of people thought when he went to Michigan, they would lose out on that guy. It wasn't necessarily the one guy, but Kentucky had three noses from that area who have done well. Quentin Bohanna drafted by the Dallas Cowboys. He's playing now. Marquand McCall, he's going to get drafted in the next go around. And then Justin Rogers, he hasn't started a single game for Kentucky and he's already got billboards in Lexington. So mm -hmm. some of that one, I think the, the biggest part is you've established a culture uh, where certain guys can see themselves being successful. Guys like Grant Bingham, who are four-star uh, recruits, uh, you know, from Eastern Kentucky, who's going to be a great offensive guard on the big blue wall in the future. I think the second part was what a lot of folks needed to see last off season. And that was hiring Liam Cohen and then immediately Get, producing results with a well-levis at quarterback. Kentucky needed to get better in the passing game, and you get better by signing guys on signing day. They don't get Barry and Brown out of Nashville Pro Cone High School without Liam Cohen's offense. Dane Key, who, you know, you look at him on paper, he's a four-star, top 250 guy. You say, oh, well, you know, he's a legacy recruit. South Carolina was pushing hard, but he was always going to end up at Kentucky. That's not necessarily the case. If, if, if Liam Cohen's off doesn't come in and revitalize Kentucky's offense, that doesn't happen. And he's a guy, like, even with Wondell Robinson this year, Kentucky needs a back shoulder fade receiver. Like, that's just teams are going to force you to make plays with your outside receivers. 
Dane Key is the kind of guy that can do that. So I, I think those are the two biggest things is you've already got yourself well-established in certain areas, but you needed to make that push by, by changing your offense and then having a quarterback that is not just a one-year splash. He, he's, he hasn't made it official, but he's going to come back for another season, and that gives you hope that, oh, well, I can catch passes from this guy next year. We can have a really, really talented team in the future. So, um, And then uh, I'll, I'll throw in one more third piece, keeping Brad White. <laughs> Brad White's not necessarily known for his recruiting prowess, but Kentucky needed some edge guys. He is their outside linebackers coach. Uh, he's the guy who helped Josh Allen become the seventh overall pick, and he's a real technician uh, when it comes to that spot. Uh, they did well recruiting that guy, or recruiting with him. He got uh, Tyree Sphere from Pitt, who was a top 200 guy. They got a kid from Delaware who's pretty good. I don't know how many kids have ever been from Delaware that go to Kentucky. But White was able to make that happen, and it was three days before signing day. There's reports coming out like, well, he's in Baton Rouge. He might stay. But, no, Brad didn't turn down Brian Kelly to stay at Kentucky, and I, I think that was a nice way to put the finishing touches on a, a really good class. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Brad White because I was going to ask you about him and kind of tie that into Mark Stoops where, you, you know, you see reports, you see, you know, LSU's interested, Florida's interested, um, you know, the this is where Kentucky's at. You have success on the field, people are going to come after your coaches. But what does it say about Kentucky that uh, both these coaches decided to stay, keep building the program, and and you're like you said, you're stacking recruiting class on recruiting class. I mean, it's it's kind of a joke to to say Kentucky's a basketball school now, and it it's not been that way for several years. So I don't know. Just I guess state of the state of the program. How great is it now that uh, Kentucky's a, a legit SEC program? I uh, I did kind of let out a sigh of relief whenever I learned that Stoops was staying because, man, ever since we started 11 Personnel, maybe two years ago, and, you know, I've been doing plenty of Kentucky Sports Radio podcasts through the years, but this always felt like the big offseason for Stoops in that timing is everything in college football. And in Stoops's case, you know, he's getting a little bit older. Uh and you could make the Brian Kelly argument that, well, has he reached his ceiling at UK? Is nine wins, is that all you can do? And you could see where one of these big jobs, I mean, the coaching carousel was absolute, absolute banana land. This, the, 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 all of the conditions on the outside were ripe for him to go elsewhere. But instead, he got reassurances from the athletic department, from the university that they could, they could invest enough to keep up with the Joneses because that's, I mean, it's, it's an arms race in this league mm -hmm. and he's proven that he can get the guys in there as long as he has the right resources. So not only did he get a contract extension, but I think the bigger thing is, is he was able to get an increase in his assistant pool salary, his assistant coaching salary pool. Um, so like white, the number we heard was 2 million. They were going to offer at LSU. He's not going to be making that at Kentucky, but he's going to be a million, 1.2 million a year kind of coordinator. Uh, I expect Liam Cohen to get a raise. And then Kentucky lost John Summerall to Troy. He was, hell, he helped recruit even after he left Troy. Uh, they got a guy from South Georgia, defensive lineman, Quintel Jones, and then flipped a two-way guy that I'm really high on, Jacoby Albert from Auburn, who could play safety receiver. So you lost a, a valuable part of your staff. But with this increase in, in, in assistant coaches' salaries, you can still go out and spend, you know, six, seven hundred thousand dollars on 
a, a guy to come in and fill that void. So it, it's it's Kentucky is in a great spot. The you know the the more I've been doing this, the more I get a feel on what you need to be successful. I mean, Kentucky, man, they're they're checking a lot of the right boxes, and, and I think the next big one that he needs to check off is you need to get uh, some sort of generational type talent quarterback from the state of Kentucky. That's the one thing he hasn't been able to do is to get a passer from the state. He's been able to get some success in the transfer portal. The, I think the last piece, the, the kind of old Mr. Sugar Bowl, you know, historic kind of season. I think that has to be getting one of these talented passers from the state to stay at home and, and, and make some more history. Uh, even bigger part two SEC, Mike. This time next year, Mark Stoops is going to have more wins than Bear Bryant in Kentucky, winningest coach in UK football history. That's pretty crazy to say uh, 10 years down the road, but he's going to be the longest tenured, greatest coach. We're in the golden years of Kentucky football. <laughs> and uh, man, I, I know me along with everybody else in the Big Blue Nation just is over the moon right now, overjoyed by what's happening in Lexington. Well, if I may poke you just a, a moment there, of course, Tennessee beat Kentucky on the field this season, but Mark Stoops signed as many Tennessee natives uh, in one family as Josh Heupel was able to do in the entire recruiting class. So ah. I wanted to ask you about Kentucky coming down there and getting the Wade twins and, you know, just planting that flag in the state of Tennessee. And this is not the first time they've done it now. This no. is several, several classes in a row. How big is uh, coming down into to Tennessee and in particular where I live, the mid-state area, the Nashville yeah. area, making their presence known. How how valuable is that going to be for Mark Stoops and company? You know, they're, they're never going to say it publicly, but it is significant. It is important um, because that that's the thing of all, like if you look at the last five years, Kentucky's had a better record by Tennessee and it's not even really close, but they've only got two wins to show for it, you know, and, and that's, that's the part that really stings. So where do you try to cut them back? You, you get them in recruiting. And um, they haven't won them all. They've won some. Uh, they were able to keep Octavius Oxendine a few classes ago. They lost on Tyler mm -hmm. Barron. But they also got Trayvon Ribka, who they're really high on next year. Getting the Wade twins, especially early, uh, this was – they committed, I want to say in the spring, maybe it was like April or May. Yeah. And that was early. And Hypo was really making a push. Uh, but even in spite of losing, I mentioned Clinkscale earlier. Clinkscale was the kind of mid-Tennessee area, but Cohen came in, Scott Woodward, his buddy from their UMass days, they were roommates uh, together at UMass. He's the receivers coach now. And those guys went into Tennessee and made sure that they were able to get the Wades and get Brown. And where Brown really jumps off the page to you from an athletic standpoint and just a, you know, here's speed we can't coach, the Wades have a – uh, there's there's a certain intangible about them where you just feel like they're going to be successful. Like there's just a way that they go about their business that I think really fits the culture of the Kentucky football program. And, and Destin, he was a quarterback that set a ton of records with his legs. Um, and that's why a lot of folks believe he'll end up moving to like an H-back or tight end or something like that. I don't know what his future holds offensively, but I know that he's going to make an impact somehow. And Keaton Wade is kind of the opposite, where instead of being real raw, he's a very polished edge prospect. And that's that's a tough position to learn because they ask so much of you in a 3-4 defense. But I do think that he can, can come in, he can contribute some as a true freshman, 
And I, I'm just, I, re- I really like what they're bringing to the table. It's not necessarily the same thing as the Pouncy Twins at Florida back in the, the late 2000s, but I do think those guys are going to be leaders for this football program for the foreseeable future. Now, if you if there's one or two guys maybe that you think in this signing class that are going to have the biggest impact for Kentucky on the field next season, does, do it, any names stand out to you? That that will make the impact or will not? Will, will immediately. Will. So Goodwin is one of those that I think is a guy that will play, probably not like day one starter. Uh, you know, Darian Kennard got thrown around a lot for, because – he came in and rotated in a ton as a true freshman. And, you know, he, he was kind of trading off. I, I could see that being a similar role where he's not a full-time starter, but he's going to play a good amount and then become a full-time guy because he does have all of the physical tools. He just needs the uh, – he, he just needs football snaps. You know, he, he hasn't played a ton of football. A lot of his recruiting rankings based on what he can do in a gym and not necessarily – what he's put on tape. So he needs to get a lot of reps, but I ultimately think he's going to be doing stuff next fall. Uh, I I mentioned Wade earlier, but Kobe Albert, man, this kid, he's one of the few guys where you watch their tape and you notice his vertical leap. Like that, that's just not something you normally say, but his, his athleticism is impressive. They're thin at safety. And I think if he comes in and plays, he, he can be an early, early impact guy as a safety. And in addition to that, Barry and Brown, He's not polished either, but you don't need to be polished to run Jeff sweeps. You know, you right. just, just got to be faster. Uh, those three are probably the ones that I think are most likely. Now, uh, I know there's still a few uh, lines cast out there. They're waiting to see if somebody will take the bait. Davison and Boonison, oh, I believe it's going to be either Ole Miss or Kentucky. He's announced at the All-American Bowl. Maybe he could also be an impact safety. And um, there's another edge that's currently committed to Iowa state who's signing in February or Mason Thomas from Fort Lauderdale. Maybe he's another guy that could, could come in. Cause they're, they're, they're going to need some outside linebackers to come in and play. And um, so I, I think either of those guys also has a shot as well. Now, this is a hell of a class by Kentucky, no doubt, but there's always needs that uh, have yet to be filled. Maybe it's outside linebacker, like you're saying, but that's what I wanted to ask you. Is there a position group or two that, uh, you really expect Kentucky to to really attack with the national signing day in February or the transfer portal before the spring practice begins? Yeah, the um, they lost out on one of their guys. Um, it was Kentucky versus Michigan State for Chris Bogle, the Florida transfer at Edge. And you could make an argument that Kentucky and Michigan State were probably the best transfer portal schools in the country last year, as far as having success with guys who were at other schools the year prior. So mm-hmm. I think Kentucky is going to hit the portal hard for corners. Uh, they need at least one more corner, particularly on the boundary. They, they've recruited a, a Juco guys off Frazier, but you know, you just Juco, you, you don't know until you know. So mm-hmm. I expect them to get another corner from the portal, maybe another receiver as well. And, uh, Maybe an offensive tackle, too, might try that. Some of it's going to depend. You still have to wait on decisions from who's going to stay, who's going to go. The thing that's nice about the portal, too, Mike, is it's never any. I, Kentucky did not expect <laughs> to get Dare Rosenthal, and that that came about in, like, June. And then right. he starts every game for him at left tackle. So uh, the portal, we're still in a 
you know, wild, wild west of sorts, trying to figure out and pin this all down. Um, I know a lot of Kentucky fans wanted Eli Ricks uh, because of the success of Kelvin Joseph and getting the LSU guys, but, you know, Alabama, that rich is going to get richer. But there's Mm -hmm. surely some other guys out there. The one that uh, is definitely a wishful thinking, too, is another LSU guy, Kayshawn Butte. I've heard some Alabama whispers for him. Uh, Man, Brian Kelly – Dude, if you're going to do any recruiting at all this year, go dance with him. Like that guy, you've got that guy is so good. That guy is so good. Any wherever he's playing next year, he's going to be maybe the best player on the team. So, uh, the transfer portal, it's wild stuff, but you know what? It keeps us busy year round. That's what I like about it. Yeah, no doubt. A fantastic Brian Kelly dance reference. But hey, last question for you, Nick. I really appreciate all your time. You know, they throw all this at us the coaching carousel, the recruiting. We still got a bowl game here. So we got a bowl game coming up right around the corner. Kentucky versus Iowa in the Citrus Bowl. Iowa, I think, is a top 15 team. Uh, What are your, how do you like the odds of Kentucky to to get win number 10, which would give Mark Stoops a two year contract decision? Man, he's got the best contract in college football. (laughs) No doubt. No wonder he stayed in Lexington. You know what? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm really, I love the matchup because it's, they play the style of football Kentucky wants to play. Some mm-hmm. might call it boring. I just call it a good old-fashioned slobber knocker. And really, it, this it's it's very basic, dumb analysis. But if Kentucky doesn't turn the ball over, they win this game by a ton, and they run away with it. Because Iowa's offense is inept. Um, their 1,000-yard running back opted out of the bowl game. Uh, they're not going to be able to score points unless they do it with defensive touchdowns. It's, if you had any fun the day after Thanksgiving – the Nebraska-Iowa game was just a calamity. I mean, you had a punt return <laughs> touchdown for Iowa. I mean, it was hilarious watching that game unfold. But that's how, that's what Iowa does. They, they wait for you to make mistakes, and then they take advantage of them. They're very opportunistic. Um, but Kentucky, you know, knock on wood, they've taken care of the balls of late. And they've really – I know the opponents weren't of the same caliber in the month of November, but I want to say they were averaging – you know, like 450 yards of offense and 38 points in those last four games. You know, it's obviously a different level of opponent, but mm-hmm. the way the offense has been clicking, the dynamic athletes, like Iowa isn't used to going up against Wandale Robinson, even though they right. did like a year or two ago. Will Levis, this game's kind of personal for him. This was his first career start, but most importantly, a lot of these games come down to will, to want to. Um, I know people don't like to talk about that and lead up to bowl games, but like, Throughout Mark Stoops' tenure, he's carried a lot of baggage on the players' behalf. Whenever they would talk about Florida streaks and Tennessee streaks, he would stand up for them and say, hey, my guys don't deserve to carry that burden. I'll do it. They put it all on me. You know, Mm -hmm. they haven't lost 30 games in a row. They might have lost two or three, but they haven't lost those games in a row. He's really took a lot to get them to this point and now going up against his alma mater. And then – the Iowa, Iowa football means a lot to the Stoops family. There was 14 years where at least one Stoops was on that campus, either playing or coaching from 78, 79, all the way to the early 90s. This football game means a lot to them. Uh, their dad was buried with Mark's jersey and Bob's Rose Bowl ring in his casket. This game is going to be a, a emotional for Mark Stoops. And these players, they really want to go out and get a win for him. And, and I think ultimately – all things equal, that that's going to do more than enough to get Kentucky a, a victory down in Citrus Bowl in Orlando. All right, he's Nick Roush. Give him a follow at Roush 
KSR, Kentucky Sports Radio. And don't forget, check out the 11 Personnel Podcast he does with Adam Luckett. Terrific stuff. As always, Nick, I really appreciate you joining the show. Hey, thanks, SEC, Mike. Go Cats. All right, so just want to say thanks again to Nick for joining the show. Really appreciate it. I know them Kentucky fans that uh, I know the Kentucky fans that tune in for the show will love that one. Hey, it's a great time to be a Kentucky Wildcat. It's stability up there. It's stacking class after class. Each one gets better than the last. And hey, Kentucky, I said all the show. It ain't just a basketball school anymore. And if you're still thinking that, I can't help you at this point. Well, and speaking of the come up, man, let's jump down finally to College Station, where again, I got an interview here with Jason Howell of Texas. Going to get to that in just a second. But we had some news here at AM, two bits of news. Offensive line coach Josh Henson is leaving the program, going to Southern Cal. But, you know, it kind of makes sense when you, when you consider he's not leaving for a lateral position, he's leaving to be. Lincoln Riley's offensive coordinator at Southern Cal. So I think that's a little bit easier to stomach there if you're Texas A&M. You lose your offensive line coach who has a history of being an offensive coordinator at Missouri. Now he's going to be getting his role at uh, offensive coordinator with Southern Cal. So we got an opening at defensive coordinator. We got an opening on offensive line. Jimbo Fisher, you know, those are two paramount positions that need to be filled. We all know the job Mike Elko's done, but think about Texas A&M in 2020, the Maroon Goons, four or five in the NFL this year. Took a little while to get things situated, but by you know the, the midway point of the season, the offensive line was once again a strength of this Texas A&M unit. So losing Josh Henson, that's a tough blow. You got plenty of talent on that offensive line, though, and now Jimbo has got to find the right pieces to plug in there to uh, to keep Texas A&M reaching higher, higher heights on the field after such a historic recruiting class signed this offseason in College Station. And one other note here before we get to our interview, Jalen Watermeyer has announced he's off to the NFL. Not surprising in the least, but he's going to be a high-round NFL draft pick, you got to assume. But he's also opting out of the bowl game. So a little bit of a blow there for Texas A&M. An offense that's already going to be missing several pieces. is going to be missing your starting tight end. The good news is you, know, you just signed a recruiting class with three of the top ten tight end prospects in the country. And that is something we hit on with Jason Howell of Texags to break down this historically great Texas A&M signing class. All right, we're pleased to be joined by Jason Howell. He's a Tex Ag senior recruiting analyst. That's the go-to site for Texas A&M football recruiting and all everything Aggies. You can follow Jason at Jason underscore Howell. Thank you so much for joining me, Jason. After, uh, man, I cannot imagine the week you guys have been having over there at Tex Ag. So I, I really appreciate the time. Absolutely. It's, uh, yeah, yeah, it's been unbelievable over there. Uh, just kind of shoot, following it and covering it all the same. It's just been nuts. Now this may be a a difficult question to answer, but you know, if you can put your finger on one or two things that, uh, you know, this legitimately is probably the greatest signing class in Texas A&M history. And we're talking well over, you know, a hundred year period here. What's been the keys to uh, Jimbo Fisher and the Aggies putting this this uh, class together? 
Well, I'll say this is undoubtedly uh, the best class uh, in A&M history, at least in the modern era of uh, recruiting rankings. And, um, you know, it's, you know, a lot of relationships and uh, just uh, a lot of the, the prospects doing the recruiting. Uh, Bobby Taylor has, has been phenomenal um, as a leader in the class, and he's been joined by guys like Donovan Green and, uh, you know, some of the, some of the other uh, recruits. Uh, that have been longtime members. Um, and, um, you know, Jimbo Fisher is about as strong a closer as you will find in college football um, in talking to parents and to, uh, to prospects alike. It's, you know, just how genuine uh, that the vibe they get, get off of him and just in every conversation – uh, he, he's he's very involved in the recruiting process, and uh, you know when it comes time to uh, you know put pen to paper, it's uh, you know there's an easy easiness there, uh, you know, and and uh, and a trust uh, that that is is felt, and you know uh, when you have guys like Elijah Robinson doing what he's doing on the defensive line, well. And, and Terry Price, Elijah and Terry uh, are just, uh, you know, they get after it uh, uh, as well or better than anybody in the country. The success they have had at Texas A&M, we're hearing a lot of well, now they have to win. Talk. Well, I mean, they did just come off a, a one-loss season in 2020, uh, and uh, we're right there knocking on the door of the playoffs. And, um, you know, this year, uh, 21 did not go according to a uh, plan. If you, you know, looking at the preseason, but there were also some clear reasons why, you know, from a injury standpoint and uh, things like that. But, uh, you know, there, uh, there's a feeling uh, between the uh, resources uh, available and facilities, education, um, you know, the, the uh, platform for NIL, um, and and all that stuff being in Texas and in the SEC, it's a very attractive package for for recruits. And I I think I hit more than a few notes there, but uh, yeah, that's uh, that's kind of how it all came together. Um, and um, yeah, uh, these guys have a plan, and they do a great job of of uh, uh, relaying that to prospect and parent and uh, it's paying huge dividends in 2022. Well, I'm glad you mentioned the NIL because I did want to ask you about that. I know that's something that even Texas, Texas has participated in and uh, yeah. you know, it's been very successful for a lot of the Aggies down there. And, you know, with a, when you got a program like a Texas A&M that is right on the cusp of potentially winning an SEC championship, potentially go in and winning the college football playoff yet they have not achieved that in recent history so you got just a passionate hungry fan base that is willing to do what it takes to to push the program over the top how much do you think that nil here and of course moving forward is going to help the aggies uh, in recruiting and just you know having them maintain one of the elite programs in the country I, I mean, I think A&M is set up uh, very well uh, in regards to uh, 
the platform uh, that uh, and you know that that is there uh, for uh, to facilitate NIL opportunities. It's a high-profile program, and in a football-hungry state, um, it is a uh, there's a there's a great alumni base that uh, you know is attractive uh, for uh, you know but you know people looking for uh, student athletes that uh, that definitely you know want those you know that uh, that might uh, that might be you know attractive for uh, you know for a, a wide audience. There's there's a lot of things um, uh, that you know that allow. Uh, not just Texas A&M. I think NIL. If you're in the SEC uh, and you're a big, big power player, uh, chances are you're going to have a pretty good NIL program. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, we saw it with Alabama and uh, Bryce Young before the season even started. He, you know, with, uh, with some of the numbers that were being thrown out there and speculated about what he might be making. So, uh, I mean. Yeah, the opportunities are there, and if you shine in uh, in a in a big program in the SEC, there's a good chance you're going to be making some pretty good corn. So, um, you know, it's uh, A and M definitely provides that, and uh, I think being in Texas and the the wide reach of the alumni base, and and you know how uh, you know A and M, you know has uh, has been at the forefront of you know allowing their their uh, athletes those opportunities you know it's mm-hmm. uh it's it's all played a big role and and I, I don't know the specifics of what Jimbo's pitch is when it comes to NIL opportunities but uh it's definitely something that's talked about you know and as far as hey you know yeah you you'll have an opportunity <laughs> you can you you can see it you don't have to talk to the raw numbers and, and all that kind of stuff, that, that, that kind of thing happens organically. Now the Aggies uh, currently have the number one recruiting class. Looks like they're going to finish with that, but as wild as that may sound, it, the Aggies may not be done. So what's your confidence level that uh, Texas A&M could add another elite prospect or two to this class? Uh, yeah, it's, it's really, it's really high. I, I feel like, uh, they're in a great position for five stars, Harold Perkins, nation's number one linebacker uh, right there in Houston. Uh, and uh, he's he's set to announce at the Under Armour All-American game. So mm-hmm. sounds like we'll find out an answer to, uh, to his decision um, in early January. And then uh, they're set up really strongly with Shamar Stewart uh, out of Miami. Um, and, and uh, they're, they're in this top three. He's, I know he's talked about making, uh, he wants to do a February announcement and he took uh, a visit to A&M right before the early signing period. And I won't be surprised at all if he returns. As a matter of fact, they've, they've said, Hey, we want to, re- we're going to come back. But uh, you know, it's one of those, you believe it when you see it kind of, you know, <laughs> uh, yeah, deals just because a recruiting can, uh, can fluctuate the news can change in a, in a moment's notice but uh yeah they've set themselves up very well with Shamar Stewart um, um and um uh, Jacoby Matthews is another one to watch so they at a at a Pontchartula Louisiana top safety prospect uh regarded as a five star by some and 
and one of the one of the top priorities A&M has had for for a while. So uh, all all three of those guys uh, I could see ending up in uh, maroon and white. Uh, but uh, it's one of those things when it comes to these five star you know recruiting battles, it's it's never over until it's over. Um, you know, even Walter Nolan, who had been you know solid. <laughs> Up until you know, of course, when it comes time, there's rumor out there. Oh, well, he's uh, he's going to wait. No, you know, <laughs> yeah, you know, and then it, you know, it kind of goes back and forth. So it's, um, you know, it's uh, it's always fun to watch, and uh, you know, the ebbs and flows, and and you know, uh, it's it's always it's always going to be uh, a fight uh, to uh, to ultimately seal the deal. But like I said, Jimbo does it as well as anybody in the country, and he has even before he got to A and M. So um, he's he's a proven recruiter, and and that staff is full of proven recruiters as well. I'm glad you hit on uh, five star Walter Nolan because I wanted to ask you about him next. Uh, I didn't mm-hmm. realize this until I saw you pointed out on Texags, but he is the highest rated recruit the Aggies have ever signed in the uh, the modern two four seven rivals ranking area even higher than Miles Garrett. And we all know how difficult it is to come in and make a difference, particularly on the line of scrimmage in the SEC. But do you think uh, Walter Nolan is the type of prospect that, you know, I'm not saying he's going to come in here and be the best player in the country, but do you, do you think he'll make an instant impact for the Aggies next season? Uh, I think uh, there's definitely a very, very good, good shot. He's, he, he, the A&M has done a good job it's, on the defensive line. It's tough to make an instant impact, mm-hmm. but they, it's also a spot where, yeah, you have your starters, but you have those, those guys rotating in and out. And, uh, you, you have to have a good, at least two, sometimes three deep, you know, uh, and he's a guy that can come in and do some real damage. Uh, Shamar, Shamar Turner, uh, was a five-star out of DeSoto, Texas, that worked his way into the mix this last year. McKinley Jackson um, was a guy that uh, he signed out of Mississippi a couple years ago. Immediately as a freshman, he found his way into the rotation. And I think Walter Nolan has that kind of makeup for sure to uh, to get in there and, and really do some things. You watch what he does uh, from a, a size uh, standpoint, I think he's definitely ready. Uh, from an explosive uh, you know, football nastiness on the, on, you know, in the trenches, he definitely has that kind of uh, ability as well. So, uh, you know, if he can get in there and, um, you know, learn, learn some, uh, learn some of the plays, I, I got a feeling they're going to have a hard time keeping him off the field. Uh, you know, I mentioned McKinley Jackson at uh, the Marvin Leal was another one. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, they're going to give the, the best guys a chance to get on the field. And especially on that defensive front, uh, I, I have a hard time feeling, uh, you know, if he's healthy and he comes in ready to go, uh, I got a feeling he's going to see some some playing time and, and make his presence felt. Now, one of the, uh, the biggest impacts in this class, in my opinion, five-star receiver Evan Stewart, Texas A&M, mm-hmm. uh, could use some explosiveness there in the receiving core. How big of an impact do you think he could make next season for the Aggies? One, it's not just that he's an explosive, uh, versatile player. Uh, this is a refined route runner. Uh, he knows, 
he knows uh, the route tree inside and out, and he is a uh, a guy that trains uh, relentlessly. He didn't play a whole lot this fall. Uh, opted out um, at, there at Liberty uh, in uh, in Frisco, but my goodness, uh, that's a guy that I I anticipate coming in early. He'll he'll be an early enrollee. Uh, I anticipate him in the spring making making some real noise uh, because, like you said. He brings an element uh, I know a and really looking for uh, in that receiving core, and that's a, that's, a, that's a guy who can take the top off the defense, and, and he can be used in so many different ways, um, whether it is, you know, getting the ball in jet sweeps or, you know, you, you can work him in so many different ways. He can play slide, he can play outside, and, and he can do uh, uh, a tremendous amount and add another element to that offense. Uh, that uh, that uh, you know can uh, take L- take A&M to uh, to the next level. Are there any other signees uh, aside from Walter Nolan and Stewart that uh, that you kind of have pegged as guys that uh, could make a big impact next season on the field for Texas A&M? Well, I, I think you you look at those other five star uh, D linemen. Uh, and you say other five stars, but my, yeah, uh, uh, Gabriel Brown Odendi was one of the you know top recruits and had been since I think his sophomore freshman year there out of Lakeland. Um, um, Anthony Lucas, uh, who uh, picked A and M over Alabama, and Notre Dame, and and a few others. Um, I th- I could see those guys um, kind of getting in there. They're they're similar. Uh, in style and, and versatility to a uh, DeMarvin Leal who could play inside and outside. Uh, and they, they, that, that's something that, uh, you know, a and going to be looking for uh, with, with him going off to the NFL. Um, you've got uh, smoke Bowie uh, out of Bainbridge, Georgia, uh, mm-hmm. who could uh, factor in not only in the secondary, uh, but uh, in the return game. Um Denver Harris, a five-star cornerback out of uh, out of Houston, uh, is another one uh, that uh, you know they just had a freshman All-American and Tyree Chapel. Uh, but uh, I could see I could see some of these guys getting in the mix, at least rotating in and and uh, finding their way onto the field in in some key situations. Um, and uh, yeah. Um, there's there's so many guys from top to bottom, um, but uh, uh, you know Le'Veon Moss is a guy. If you know if you know he comes in healthy, ready to go, he could find his way into the running back rotation, uh, the the quarterback room. Uh, you know Connor Wegman, uh, he's got that gunslinger mentality to him. Uh, great arm, uh, athleticism. He's got some people talking. You know. He's got some Johnny football to his game. Let's not call him Johnny Manziel, but he he definitely has some uh, some of those aspects to his game where he just seems to make players around him better and um, plays you know not not a very vocal guy at least uh, off the field, but he uh, he his teammates love and respect him and will go to the ends of the earth for him. So. Um, you know he's uh, he's another one to watch. You know, but uh, uh, yeah, there's the whew, there's a, there's a lot of them, and uh, I think this class is going to be fun to watch over the next few years. 
Now, it's hard to say any of these players may be underrated because, my goodness, they're all five and four stars. But is is there maybe one signee that stands out in your mind that uh, may be a little underrated uh, as he begins his college career? I would throw out Martrell Harris uh, out of the Woodlands. He's, uh, he's a guy that a lot of people, at least outside the region, didn't know about um, so much because he was – he had transferred, so he had to sit out a year, sophomore year, and then he got hurt as a junior. But he is a um, – when it comes to an explosive, violent linebacker, uh, a guy who can bring it off the edge and can also drop into coverage and, and you know, do do a lot of uh, a lot of things for you at the linebacker position. Montreal Harris is that guy. Um, he uh, picked the A&M over um, – uh, Texas and uh, LSU came on late, um, and um, you know he's but he's a guy that uh, I, I think is a bit under the radar, and uh, you know he's somebody that uh, that I'd circle as one to watch. Uh, and as far as that goes, uh, another one, Noah Thomas, receiver out of out of the Houston area. His uncle Broderick Thomas was a All American there at Nebraska, um, and he is six five. 190 pounds, a 400 meter um, guy. Uh, I want to say he's a state champ. I may be wrong there, but uh, uh, he's 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 really good on the track and has just had a phenomenal senior season. And um, yeah, then and another one, um, Mark Naboo out of Seattle, Washington. This was a guy came to camp, six four, 330 pounds, and he showed up at. A&M summer camp and A&M said, okay, we want to bring you back on an official visit <laughs> like the next week. <laughs> and, and then it was game on from there on. They, they weren't letting go. Uh, they ended up securing his commitment over uh, USC, uh, mainly there at the end. But um, yeah, it, just uh, there's a few guys in there, but yeah, those, those really jump out to me. Um, and if I throw one more out to you, uh, and this guy is one that I'm personally rooting for. Uh, his his dad played in the NFL, um, and he um, he's a bit undersized, about six two, two sixty. Known for speed, uh, especially there at the three technique, can also play some defensive end. Jaden Scarlett out of out of Argyle, Texas, um, just a phenomenal story. Um, his, his father passed from COVID right before the, or right, uh, early in the season. And, uh, it's just, uh, you know, didn't have the senior season he would have hoped for, I think, uh, from an injury standpoint and, and things like that. But when he is at a hundred percent, that kid has the quickest get off of anybody in this recruiting class. And that is a five, that is, that is a, the best D-line class I've seen uh, that I've personally covered in 20 years of covering recruiting. Um, and he, he has the quickest get off. He's a, he's a bit undersized and I could see him being somebody that, uh, you know, situationally maybe early on uh, starts to, you know, make a, make his presence felt a little bit. Now one uh, late addition, I, I don't know if you really can count this as part of the signing class here, but uh a&M added Max Johnson, the former LSU quarterback. So I just wanted to get your, your quick thoughts on that. And, of course, they 
maybe more importantly added his brother, the number one tight end prospect, Jake Johnson. Yeah. We know Jimbo Fisher and his long history with, you know, I think he does a better job than anybody of, of producing these elite tight ends like Wattemeyer and, and Sternberger and, and just go back to his FSU days. So uh, thoughts on, on picking up the Johnson brothers late in the process? And do you think Max Johnson, who, you know, a, a lot of people, especially LSU fans, kind of upset with him, but I always thought he was a lot better than, than people gave him credit for, and I, I think he was just poorly coached there at uh, LSU. Do you, do you think he could factor in as a potential starting quarterback, uh, if not next season, at, at some point in his career at, at A&M? Absolutely. I mean, what he brings that uh, nobody else has uh, in that quarterback room right now with, uh, with the departure of, uh, of your backup, you know, you know, jumping into the portal, um, it's uh, experience and a lot of it in the SEC. And you can't manufacture that. You can't coach that. That, you know, so he's he's been there. He's been uh, in live action. Uh, he's he's uh, he's seen and felt what that is to walk into opposing, you know, stadium and uh, you know have those have those defenses keyed up on you. Um, now he's not without, you know, faults. Uh, people criticize the, the arm and, and, and some of the things like that. But uh, I'll say this, uh, you know, he, uh, he put together a heck of a last drive against A&M there. And I'm sure there's some, uh, some Aggies going, Hey, he can't beat us if he's on the, on the same sideline. So, uh, you know, uh, at the very least they, they, they won't. Uh, they won't have an L because of him next next fall. And uh, I think what he brings it in terms of, you know, just helping out that quarterback room. You know, and plus he he just elevates that quarterback room to to a degree. And I think he'll have every opportunity to come in and 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 fight for that job. All right, last question for and you. And then, Jake. like you said, I got I got to bring a Jake. I mean, geez. oh yeah, 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 yeah that was. <laughs> <laughs> that, that tight end group, Donovan Green, Jake Johnson, and then the Swedish guy, uh, Theodore Mellon-Ostrom, uh, who, who went to camp everywhere this summer. And, I mean, Saban offered him, I think, after one reception or something at a 4-5-5-40 at 6'5", 240 pounds. So uh, that is some serious talent right there. Uh, and, and Jake is as polished as it comes from a receiving standpoint. Uh, no one, uh, he's going to come in early as well. And he'll be a guy that I, I don't know if he sees the field, but he's definitely a guy that knows is going to have what it takes from a football IQ to come in and, and learn that system. And, and uh, you know, at, at tight end where A&M's not going to, it doesn't look like, it looks like they're going to need some experience there. So I'm really glad you, uh, Mentioned Theodore because I was not going to attempt to butcher his uh, his name there. So <laughs> thank you for clarifying that. But hey, Jason, I appreciate all your time. I just got one more question for you, and sure. it's, it's just because I don't have any uh, insight into this. I was thinking maybe you guys over at Texags do, but Mike Elko off to Duke, getting the head job. Uh, he's been an outstanding defensive coordinator for them, Texas A&M Aggies, and. Now, I think this is the biggest question of the offseason. Who is Jimbo going to hire? And, you know, I think given the talent on hand, I mean, this has got to be maybe the top coordinator position available in the country. 
Do you guys have any insight into uh, where Jimbo may be looking for his next defensive coordinator? Well, I, I tend to leave the team questions up to Billy, uh, but uh, for, from his reports, um, you know, it sounds like uh, they're, they're, they're taking a look at some options. I haven't heard any, like, concrete names. Of course, the rumor mill's been out there with, you know, this guy and that guy. But as far as, uh, like, that this is these are the top three names or whatever i i can't say that for sure but uh it, you know there's been talk of maybe an in, in-house hire mm-hmm. as well um and um and and maybe doing some promoting from within but like you said uh, i think whatever happens there uh, and part of the reason why uh you didn't see a lot of class defections because this happened before signing day uh and you could have seen guys decide not to sign and and that did not happen as a matter of fact they just added to that on signing day (laughs) and a part of that is because with Jimbo Fisher's stability and the resources and the budget he has for his coaches it's a like you said it's it's a very attractive job and that defensive that defensive group that is already signed and what you could potentially add to that is extremely high quality. Um, and so you're going to, you're, you got the chance to go in and coach a, a phenomenal group of guys, one of the most talented groups in the country um, and uh, compete against uh, the, in, in the best league in, in the, uh, in the nation. So yeah, it's, I have no problem uh, and no, uh, no worries uh, believing that, that there's going to be a pretty quality candidate that emerges and eventually gets named for that position. All right, he's Jason Howe. Got to give him a follow at Jason underscore Howe for all your Texas A&M recruiting needs. He's the senior recruiting analyst over at texags.com. Jason, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for uh, all this insight and for giving me so much time. Absolutely, anytime. Thanks for having me. All right, so just want to say thanks to Jason for joining the show. Really, really appreciate it. First time had him on the show. Definitely going to have to get him back at some point to talk some Texas A&M football. But, hey, that's going to do it for this episode of the show. And we've got more interviews coming up, scheduled on the books. Cousin Shane, scheduled to be back. I always got to say scheduled because who knows with that guy. But he is scheduled to be on the next episode we're going to make a couple bowl picks we got two sec bowl games to preview and to predict and give you guys uh some betting advice that uh if you fade us you're almost guaranteed to win this bowl season in the sec but uh hey stay tuned the action we ain't going anywhere we got plenty of content coming the rest of the week i think you guys are really gonna appreciate the, uh, the interviews we got lined up to close out strong heading into the SEC Bowl week. So that's going to do it for this episode of the show. Catch you on the next one.